0: house in will's honor Uh. (laughs) well
1: we can all spare our guts and livers today because this is a show oscar bait show listen things are changing around here (laughs) the new world sometimes people just aren't cut out for this kind of business and sometimes people have to make the hard decisions and if with no great uh there's no enthusiasm behind this. I had to do what I had to do. <laughs> Will's got a legal charge coming up. I can't get into it right now, but it's <laughs> let's just say I I, I don't want to get involved, you know what I mean?
0: Is is my association with it? Yeah, I mean yes, but you you know, it's binding. So I, I didn't actually read any of it, so
1: Yeah. Shoulda. <laughs> yeah, so here's we're trying this is a new host uh audition time so we uh we gotta replace him. he'll be missed you know those are very tiny shoes to fill but we can do it um all right <laughs> so today we have filling in for will morris we have as referred to in the last episode as Corey, because we didn't want to <laughs> out you but if you, you want to say your full name you're
0: more than welcome to uh, well, with what you're saying about Will's upcoming charges and everything, I think maybe uh, I should remain mostly anonymous. Okay, it's Corey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you'll figure well, his name. Why, why do we? Why do we beep it before?
1: Uh, just because I didn't think you wanted to be associated with what we were saying yeah. at the time. <laughs> but was it, cool? it was all above board. But you know, you've landed yourself in a bit of hot water for your your journalistic uh, endeavors. Do you want to open that up? Do you want to do this beautiful podcast that you're a traitor to our nation?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. My my uh, reporting in Ukraine uh, recently has gotten me called a uh, Russian propagandist quite a bit on uh, on Twitter the last couple weeks. So my Twitter mentions are just a flaming pile of trash. Uh, been interesting, but, uh, but a little obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: that's what you get for turning your back on the good guys. Uh, <laughs> as, we'll, as we're going to talk about, Russia is a very evil place and depicted so in the cinema
0: accurately. Yeah, I, I, it is. Uh, uh, the xenophobia runs rampant in America towards the Russians, uh, and we see it time and again. But it's okay. They're white. <laughs> so it's fine. That's, Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. We've all heard they okay, right? Just makes it fine. Everyone knows that. Uh yeah, it's part of Asia. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> They're bad people, folks. Do not support them. And in fact, if you were going to the Red Square, the Russian spot today, cancel your appointment.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the things that we covered a lot in our reporting. Is just the like the the uh, abject hatred towards everyday Russians that's running pretty wild uh, in in the world. Uh, you know, it's just uh, I had a friend tell me a story the other day in, in L.A. that um, they were trying to find a place to go for lunch. And somebody mentioned this uh, mom and pop Russian spot that had been in L.A. since the 70s, uh, you know, owned by this this husband and wife and and somebody on the cruise said, well, we don't want to be supporting them right now, do we? <laughs> Poor restaurateurs that have been in America for 50 years are like that these are the people that we're up against. Like." <laughs> guilty by association absolutely right yeah if you're eating borscht right now you are a criminal that's just cut and dry and if you're sitting next to someone eating borscht spit in it.
1: <laughs> you know get them real distract them by talking about yakov shmirnok
0: for whatever his name is it's the only russian i know and then you know and then spit uh famously doing a a residency in branson missouri these days um been there for a minute yeah uh which uh, Ignati uh vishnovetsky uh, has told me a, a really amazing story about um just absolutely astounding oh i can imagine if you want to go see the show
1: okay i guess there's two good russians yeah shout out <laughs> to Ignati. Yeah, um, yeah there you go yeah so we're not gonna we can later we can get into your exploits uh overseas but we're, I think today we're going to talk about some of your exploits over here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I am so excited to talk about this. Um, Me too. because I love you. <laughs> I love intrigue. And
0: I love the movie Rollerball. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that you're um, one of the only Rollerball apologists that I know. <laughs> um, Corey's like calling his
1: editor right now like do not search the internet for me
0: <laughs> just thinking about hiring a publicist already to get ahead of this
1: <laughs> yeah or maybe your own ray donovan
0: yeah absolutely uh now, surprise.
1: who okay let's all right let's play a little exercise here yeah you have, oh, this is true, you have a career that's doing well for you. Suddenly you are affiliated with uh, something like Oscar Bay. How would you go about stopping that news from coming out in Hollywood where you live?
0: Uh, you know, it's, uh, um, Hollywood has uh, quite a deep um, underbelly, uh, as we all know um, from numerous stories, but um, there are a whole host of Um, what they refer to as fixers running around the place, uh, whose entire thing is to, um, you know, get dirt and uh, dish it out on uh, opponents of studios, of directors, of actors, um, and help uh, settle court cases and uh, generally, you know, make people in Hollywood's lives a little easier and uh, a little less problematic.
1: So you would want that. You would want a private investigator to maybe throw a dead fish on my car. Tell me to right. stop. delete, right. like,
0: uh, you know, delete the episode. <laughs> hey, absolutely. That's what I would do. Okay. Uh, and I know just the guy. Uh, uh well let's, uh, I'll, I'll, back up a little bit. Um, back up. About, yeah. Um, this is the part where three point.
1: frames on Corey and he goes, I bet you'd like to know how I got
0: here. A hundred percent. That's me. Um, Two years ago, um, sitting uh, in my apartment in, uh, in West Hollywood, where I had just moved, um, recounting this exact story. But I, uh, I moved to L.A. Uh, during the pandemic, like five days before lockdown, um, to get out of that brutal Chicago winter uh, and to go be with a girl I had just started dating. Um, I moved in with her immediately, and, uh, and we were living in this um, apartment complex in West Hollywood. And I was uh, like this? uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh it didn't end it didn't end well, but uh um, as you know, um we don't have to quite go all the way there, but I'll keep referring to her as my girlfriend, but that was a uh, girlfriend at the time, uh now uh staunchly ex-girlfriend, but that's yeah. okay. here cure for this story. But my girlfriend yeah. at all the time, that. she came in one day uh from walking the dog. We have this little Boston Terrier, and uh she comes in and she's like She's like, I haven't told you about this guy that lives down the hall, and I was like, what about him? And She was like, um, he's like pretty weird, uh, kind of intimidating, and like always says weird stuff to me. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, what kind of weird stuff? He's like, well, sh- uh, he was just in the elevator with me, and he said, uh, I just made all this pasta sauce, um, and I want to give you some. And I she- that line too. <laughs> yeah, just I-, I can imagine that. Yeah, it's like I want to give you some of this pasta sauce. And she was like, uh, okay. You know, she's like, I didn't know what to say. So I was like, all right. And he was like, yeah, come to my apartment and get some. And she was like, well, you can just bring it over. And and he was like, no, you got to come to my apartment and get it from me. And she was like, uh, okay, sure. Yeah. I'll come by later and get it. You know, obviously didn't go get the pasta sauce. Yeah. Um, we
1: clearly see the same pickup guru.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is going to be you in 50 years. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so, she, you know, she tells me a story and then um, tells me repeated stories about this guy over probably a six-month period. And she keeps referencing this guy that lives down the hall that she runs into literally only when she takes the dog out by herself or she leaves by herself. Um, yeah. Very strange uh, that I never met this guy. At one point, I was like, I was like, was this guy real? You know, <laughs> like... Uh, Cause it just felt so, it was so strange that he just like, literally, I never ran into him. One day we're coming back in from, I think the grocery store or something. Um, and uh, we, the garage and the front door uh, to the apartment complex come from different ways and the elevators in between the two. And we get to the elevator and this guy gets the elevator with us, you know and he says, hi and whatever barely doesn't say anything, really, we get in the elevator, we take the elevator up to our floor, he goes into his apartment, which is right across from the elevator, people looking towards the elevator, um, which I think is important to a lot of these uh, details here. Yeah, um, the down, of that. yeah, yeah. And we go down to our apartment complex, and we go or our apartment um, unit, and we go inside. And, uh, and she's like, that's the guy. And I was like, dude is some like frumpy old dude gray hair he's probably like in his 70s uh little like looks like not the healthiest guy you know and I was like that's the guy you know and she was like yeah and I was like he didn't even, he barely even said hi to us and she was like yeah he's always so chatty when it's just me but like now that you're here he didn't say anything and I was like well that's you know that's weird so like that you know that was when I first met this guy and then um fast forward like Four months later, I maybe only other ran into him maybe one other occasion and she keeps seeing him and telling me she sees him like every time she goes alone outside or something, you know, which is just so bizarre. Um, and finally, like, so I'm not working this whole time, you know, like all of us during the pandemic 2020, like uh, pretty home body the entire time. But I get offered a TV show in New York uh, at the end of 2020 um, and, uh, and I was going to bring, my girlfriend at the time with me, but she had a doctor's appointment, uh, that she had scheduled like six weeks out and you know how, how uh, healthcare was at the time. So it was like, she was like, I have to stay for this doctor's appointment because I can't get it rescheduled mm-hmm. and uh, you go ahead and I'll stay here for a couple of days and then I'll fly out and meet you. And I was like, all right, cool. So the day I leave, I fly to New York, uh, hanging out with a friend and I get a call from her frantic, you know, and, and she's like, he knocked on the door he knocked he's like he knocked on the door and i was like, what are you talking about And she's like the guy down the hall he knocked on the door and i didn't know what was what it was and i answered and it was him standing there and he was like i have all this like dog food and these dog toys i want to give to you and she said he didn't have anything with him and she was he was like you got to come in my apartment and get it from me and she was like no thing like oh she was i think she said like okay whatever like i'll get it from you later uh, and he was like, no, like come over now. And she was like, no, I'll get it later, you know? And, uh, and she kind of just like backed out of it, locked the door and then called me and she was like freaking out, you know? And, uh, and I was like, it's, you know, it's, it's all right. Like you're flying here the next day. Like, it'll be fine. Like just lay low, whatever. And, uh, and she was like, kind of freaked out. Cause she's like, you know, if, if I leave to go somewhere and he like catches me outside or all this, you know, it's like, that-
1: offering me pasta sauce and dog food <laughs> i get it i'd be terrified as well
0: yeah he's, i mean he, he seems like a little bit of a weird guy you know so um yeah. so so she calls me again later that night and uh and she's like he he just knocked on the door again he knocked on the door again and i was like i was like well, what are you like what she's like yeah it's like the third time today he's knocked on the door you know the first one i answered the last two i didn't and she was like, I got to take the dog out. Can you stay on the phone with me? I was like, all right. So she opens the door and she just goes, oh my fucking God. And I was like, what's up? And she's like, he left a note on the door. And I was like, what do you, he left, yeah. And she was like, yeah, I printed out a piece of paper and left this note on the door. And I was like, well, what's it say? And she was like, it says, come see me if you wish the dog puppy things, including the food. And then it signed Anthony in unit number 202. So she sent me a picture seen,
1: of it. I've seen this note too.
0: It, it's yeah, it. dramatically wild. Yeah. Come see me if you wish the dog slash puppy things, including the food, no punctuation.
1: Yeah, that that's or the sound <laughs> of a man writing that from the bottom of his like
0: scotch bottle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, something desperately going on there. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so I'm like, Anthony 202. I'm like, I'm going to fucking find out who this guy is. So I Google our address unit 202 Anthony and first hit immediately Anthony Pelicano. And I'm like, all right, you know, whatever. So I take that name, put it into Google and just got a flurry of articles about the wildest shit that I've been reading about for the last two years because of how deeply fascinated it, fascinating it is. Which ties back to McTiernan and, and Rollerball, uh, in uh, in the, the most dramatic fashion. But that yes. that was when I realized I lived down the hall from uh, you know from one of Hollywood's most notorious fixers, um, who had just been released from prison um, the year before I moved to LA, and had yeah. moved in, down the hall from me, and <laughs> uh-huh. was just living a quiet existence down the hall uh basically only coming out to accost my girlfriend and then going back inside <laughs> i mean the pasta i mean I, it's really hard to get
1: past details like offering up a bit because i'm just imagining this fucking guy with like a big old pot of pasta sauce that's like flopping out everywhere
0: and he's like, please serve the pasta sauce. Sure. <laughs> come by, come by and get some pasta sauce. She was like, I'm worried if I go to the apartment, he's going to lock me in a cage, and I'm just going to be in there forever. And I was like, yeah, sounds actually about right, you know.
1: Well, his uh, his ex wife might uh, might say that there's something similar there. Now let's you, we've landed on a name, Anthony Pilicano.
0: Are you he's from, from? He's from Cicero, outside of Chicago. Right. Yeah. He's. Can, can you hear me now? He's yeah, from no, can... Cicero, yeah, of Chicago, uh, Italian yep. descent, um, which uh, explains the pasta sauce. Uh, <laughs> I oh, a, a re- whoa. <laughs> no, in a, in a, in a review, an uh, interview I read with uh, one of his uh, clients said that when he got out of prison, he should like start cooking Italian food. That was like one of the things they had mentioned because like he's very good at it or something, you know, so oh, that would be like, great pride in his Italian
1: heritage yes he does Uh, so much so that he has to watch the sopranos at the
0: same time that was uh yeah in one of the articles right that he was uh, very into uh the godfather and the sopranos and like mob life which apparently uh he had a lot of ties to in chicago though he's pretty coy uh when he's asked about it this man popped up everywhere it's wild like it's wild his like history how much of it probably we don't know yeah. um and uh where all it went but you know his early days was like he pops up in like the warren commission report like JFK's defination, yes. which is insane um, all above board there analyzes the audio of the um of the gunshots to determine how many there were yeah um, what did he what
1: did he come up with
0: he, he falls in line with the government the Warren Commission report um their findings which makes me think he probably took money from them to say that um oh, now, up, that's interesting <laughs> yeah because I mean this man will do anything for money uh which uh comes up quite a bit in his storied career but he pops up in Watergate um yep. he was uh he was one of the people to analyze um uh the this audio from the shah of iran in 1979 when they were wiretapping him oh, <laughs> what happened there? there is just like a, yeah yeah right uh <laughs> just very very bizarre um one of his biggest case, uh cases in the 90s was um he was um the pi for michael jackson's lawsuit um with the uh, the kid who accused him of molesting him um and um uh, Bertrand Fields was his lawyer, and uh, Pelicano worked for him, and uh, they worked out a deal that was a twenty-three, I think it was twenty-three million dollar settlement um, with the family. Uh, and Bertrand Fields said that million. would not have happened without Pelicano. Jeez. Yeah, that's how much they paid the family. But Bertrand Fields made it very sure specifically clear there. about Pelicano. Twenty-three million. That's true. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually later on, great later on, Pelicano said that he was disgusted by the truths he saw of uh, that were not reported case. Yeah, sorry, my mom's internet not not the best.
1: Yeah, I forgot you yeah, where you are right now.
0: I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, unfortunately, where the internet runs slow. Uh, uh, yeah. Like grass and blue and the internet runs slow. Uh-huh. So uh he said that he was, uh, disgusted by the truth he saw in the Michael Jackson case, um, when he was investigating, but that he didn't want to, he was offered, I think like, uh, several hundred thousand dollars, like maybe 300 to tell that side of the story, uh, and didn't take it because he said that he was bound by the secrecy of his clients, uh, or his ethos, uh, this comes up quite a bit in his history of him like keeping mum's the word with him with his clients he's a man of upstanding moral character <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's very funny that this is like the one thing that he, he really uh is the one moral uh standpoint that he takes. Uh, right. you know, illegally wiretapping um and threatening people with dead fish and notes that say stop and um and, and making just... explosives in his house and all this other stuff uh is totally fine with him but uh, god forbid he says anything negative about Michael Jackson. The king of pop? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Kept that one close to his heart.
1: I mean you should see the way this guy dances.
0: <laughs> you know, it's
1: it's amazing yeah no i mean he he really doesn't like to bend his moral uh backbone too much i mean he's a listen from what i know of this guy and what i've read this is a family man right like <laughs> so yeah you're, you're mentioning the michael jackson thing didn't he also uh get involved with uh the definitely not gay at least a little tom cruise with a gay tom porn cruise. star
0: yeah tom cruise definitely one of his big clients um there's, uh, I think I sent you that thing, um, that was like his, uh, let me see if I can find that, uh, Paul Bressi was one of his, uh, field investigators and Paul Bressi made this like wild claim on the internet that, um, that, uh, first of all, Ray Donovan, which you had uh, teased earlier, was, um, apparently based on his character, but Paul Bressi says that in that first episode of, of, uh, Ray Donovan, that, um, that it was based on this case where they had to pay a visit to seven, as um, Paul Barresi says, transvestites, alleging they batted this one box office superstar. Uh, And then Paul Baresi says, I helped them all see their way clear of recanting the story, with the exception of one, however, who ended up falling to her death from her Koreatown apartment building rooftop. probably just cleaning the windows. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, she accidentally fell to her death uh, it had nothing to do with the fact that she didn't recant her story like the other six um Jesus. but it. Uh, but yeah this guy this guy pops up all over hollywood um over and over again just everywhere the man is everywhere
1: uh, yeah i mean he was really i mean like when he went down that was literally i think everyone who was in hollywood in the industry was like this is all we're talking about this is just it was because everybody had a relationship with this guy and or had called them for services like uh, my boy Don
0: Simpson (laughs) yeah I mean as you say that Vanity Fair article is called talk of the town because that was literally um, when he got indicted was all anyone in Hollywood was talking about because he had um, thousands of hours of uh, recorded conversations between all kinds of actors, studio execs, lawyers for actors and studio execs, um uh musicians like just everyone in Hollywood. Um, and uh and everyone apparently was uh quaking in their boots. Uh I think a quote that he said um um a lot of people are quaking with what I could reveal, and they're going to have to keep quaking. Because <laughs> I think he wanted to keep people uh, a little concerned so as not to burn him any more than he was already getting burned.
1: Yes. And let's just say he's lucky he didn't um, hang himself with his bed sheets.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. I think uh, uh, with his uh, deep history of being so. Um, so secretive about his cases uh you know like the michael jackson thing not taking the three hundred thousand. um yeah. a lot of people i think felt fairly comfortable with him keeping silent on there and i think a lot of it too would have implicated him into even more crimes uh if he were to talk about a lot of what he did um but yeah he yeah. uh part part of the one of the um Uh, speculations is that his cushy lifestyle, he was living down the hall from me in West Hollywood, um, like a, uh, I think it was like a $3,500 or $4,000 a month apartment um, uh, was because he was getting paid off to be silent after he got released from prison. Um, That's speculation, but uh, it would make a lot of sense because uh, it didn't seem like he was working. Although recently he's taken on a couple new cases uh, one of which is a uh, feud between the owner of the Edmonton Edmonton Oilers uh and, and uh, your favorite Joel Silver. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah. are apparently in a big a big feud right now um and uh he's right in the middle of it. Okay, so he's not done yet. This guy's yeah, still out there. Yeah it's pretty wild these people hiring him because he's uh um because he's uh I mean his storied and history and All I mean, like the minute that he's on one of these cases, it's like in the Hollywood Reporter, it's in it's in Vanity Fair, it's in like different different people immediately grab a hold of it because you know this guy's like back in the spotlight. So it's like how, like, why would you want to hire this guy because it's only going to make your case like that much more publicized? Which in and the thing of Daryl Katz, the uh, or Kates, sorry, pronounce Kates, uh, his uh, the owner of the Oilers. uh, Um, one of the initial things he hired him for was, um, he was, uh, being accused of paying $75,000 to have sex with a 17 year old. Um, and it's like, why would you want that even more in the spotlight, um, by hiring this guy that immediately got that in the headlines? (laughs) Uh, it turned out that that, uh, accusation, what I think, uh, ended up not being true. Um... But, I'm uh, sure not far from the truth. Yeah, absolutely. That specific ac- accusation not being true. But, you know, I'm sure that there are other ones that maybe aren't uh, in the light that uh, that were. Um, Who do but, we think would like, want to kill him the most? Wait, what were you, you going to say? Oh, I was just saying allegedly. Okay. Um,
1: alleged this is all alleged folks yeah,
0: yeah All. Uh, well some of this is very very well documented some of it very yeah. very alleged <laughs> I'm Just gonna slap alleged on most of this <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think that's the best way to go with some of this
1: yeah i mean who do you think would want to kill him the most out of hollywood do you think it's the game mafia
0: um that's a really good question um i know him and um I, man, that's a very good question. I know him and Charles Roven have like a pretty weird uh, history. Who uh, produced Rollerball? Um, yeah, yep. uh, him and Kirk Kerkorian, uh, Kirk Kerkorian, uh, yep. who uh, uh, owned MGM for a long time. Also, I think have a weird little thing. Katzenberg. Um, um, yeah, he he's got. Uh, yeah, he's all over town. I mean, like I'm sure that maybe tom cruise would want to kill him because of all the dirt he knows about tom cruise but um, oh i'm sure i mean you know scientology um very good at making people disappear um so
1: yeah i mean he's I, I the rumor i've i've seemed to like come across sometimes is that he has potentially compromised on what we probably know to be true that there's a like a gay pedophile thing going on in hollywood maybe uh maybe run by some guy named brian singer allegedly who has still really never faced any
0: real backlash for any of what came out about that that's one of the most befuddling um cases in hollywood is is his entire career that uh he's been able to skirt all of these allegations um while people You know, Polanski has one allegation and has to flee the country for the rest of his life. And Brian Singer, uh, but allegedly numerous accusations and a a very storied history of doing very um, a lot of improprieties. uh, And uh, and then gets offered Bohemian Rhapsody, where he gets fired off of. And I'm sure, like after that, he's going to get some other movie. You know, he got to
1: keep the producer credit and got to actually take home the Oscar, which is cool.
0: Yeah, very cool of him. Uh and yep. he made a lot of money off of it and uh you know and uh he'll probably use that to hire Anthony Pelicano in the future to defend him. <laughs> I, yeah, cuz I I I do see what you're
1: saying like I mean you can't really get Pelicano to do what he used to. I mean maybe he does in some sort of like more discreet way, but um I would say yeah, you're, he's probably just being paid to stay quiet.
0: Yeah, he's, uh, the, the Kate's case and a couple of these others that he's talked about, um, he's made it very explicitly clear that he doesn't do these sort of illegal things that he used to, uh, namely wiretapping was his big thing, right? He's made it pretty, pretty clear that he's, uh, he's mostly there for negotiations, but he did, apparently he has made statements to people about, um, that they wouldn't want to, uh, know what he could find about them. Um, basically saying that he could pull, um, could kind of discover compromising material about people he's in cases against. Um, which he claims, um, he claims that he never said and then also claims that, uh, that this is just how adversarial positions work. (laughs) He was like, like, this is just how we talk as lawyers and private investigators. It's like, you know, it's like, that's not illegal. I'm not threatening them. You know, I'm just saying that that's a possibility that could happen.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And he's, you know, he probably does have stuff on this, but you could also probably chalk it up to this is a boisterous ass motherfucker who like loves to envision himself as like a member of the Sopranos,
0: Yeah, that's what his his wife said, right? That he would watch The Godfather and Sopranos and wanted to see himself as as one of those characters, which I'm sure when, uh, although like, it's sounds a like a boomer dad in the fucking world right there. Yeah, I mean, this is true. I was going to say, like, I'm sure, like, Ray Donovan really um, put a feather in his cap with uh, that portrayal. But, like, also that's kind of a shitty TV show. So I wonder if he was a little upset about, <laughs> about it not being as popular as something like The Sopranos or, or uh, you know, some other thing that he was obsessed with.
1: Yeah, so this guy, he likes to claim that he's a mafia guy. He's just an amazingly stupid individual so it seems
0: like his character i mean like sorry his like idea of himself and everything is so ridiculous but uh as far as his skill set uh it, at his prime was exceptional like he was i mean there's a reason that he appears in all these places is because he was very good at what he did uh what one of which was doing t4 though when they caught him uh, that was a good question. I don't know that he ever, um, he ever said what that was for. Um, I had seen people, uh, uh make the, uh, you know, the tie that he was like threat, he was going to threaten like studio execs like, by like having explosives. But, but, uh, I don't know that that's actually true. That's, you know, that, I mean, that seems a little extra insane, like a dead oh. fish on a windshield for the, the reporter, um, is one thing, uh, putting actual C4 in someone's office, totally different thing. I got your assistant, uh, I got a wired with C4. <laughs> yeah, you know, he kind of, that's a little how he talks, a little gruffer, but um, yeah. Well, he uh,
1: also apparently consulted on uh, Crime Story, the show.
0: No shit. I, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: which would make yeah. sense being from Chicago
0: and like ties with Yeah, I feel, I, I feel like I I did remember reading that now, but yeah, that's uh, wow! What a what a tie-in. Um, but yeah, I, I, what I was gonna say uh, about his skill set um, was that he apparently came up with some of these early wiretap methods, like that the the reel to reel would start recording as soon as you picked up the receiver and as soon as you put it down, and uh, and he worked out this auto encryption method afterwards, so it would, like automatically encrypt the phone calls. Which was like pretty early on for all of this stuff being done. So yeah, he's like he's as, as ridiculous as a character and everything, he is like ex- exceptionally good at, at his job. Um, oh, no, other than, other than being caught eventually, um, which well, yeah, yeah, nothing goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. I mean, like he just I, I, eventually when you're dealing with that much shit like you're going to get caught doing something like you were like, he just had his hands in everything. It was just like, I'm um, only a matter of time. Yeah. What was the case?
1: Uh, it was, I, it involved his, it involved a, I know Keith Carradine's ex-wife. What was the
0: case that got him put in jail? So it was, was the Anita Bush thing, which was Anita Bush wrote the, yeah, wrote the Hollywood reporter or sorry. She was the editor for Hollywood reporter. That's, um, yeah. and yeah. And, um, um she put he put the uh, dead fish and arose with the word stop on her windshield um and pointed a fake
1: gun someone or someone pointed a fake gun at her
0: yeah and, there there was a story too about him pulling up next to a producer and, and tapping on the window and holding a gun out and then pulling the trigger and with and the gun being unloaded and him saying bang yeah <laughs> Which is just some like that's definitely the mind of someone who's watched uh, too many mob movies, you know. <laughs> like I, I was going
1: to say, I think that's a big point of the story here. Is this guy? He lived in Tinseltown, but Tinseltown lived in him.
0: A hundred percent, he was completely taken by uh, by all the stories of the movies he watched too much, and you can see it in um, in a lot of uh, how he acted. Which yeah. I mean, yeah. At, just like how psychotic do you have to be you know, to point a gun at someone pull the trigger and say bang and think that that's just like you're going to get away with it you know well he, Which, I mean, he came up in years and, you know he thought he yeah moved, he did this is untouchable and um so yeah
1: it was a few weeks after that uh after his wife divorced him never didn't i guess moved out of his house moved well not close to you that would come later but then it was two <laughs> months after that the fbi raided his office
0: Right. And this was after, this is what you were saying about, um, the Steven Seagal thing. Yeah. Uh, I think this, the Julius Nasso thing is the one where he pointed the gun at Nasso And, uh, when he was driving through, um, uh, I want to say it was Laurel Canyon, Yeah, uh, okay. he, like, pulled up next to him and tapped on his win- window and pointed the gun. Uh, And that was when they raided his office. So yeah, that was the time where he was like, Oh, this is a great idea. Like, nothing's gonna come like this guy's gonna back off. And then instead, the guy went to the FBI, uh, who then uh, subsequently raided his office. Apparently, uh, he says that they asked him if there was anything of uh, anything dangerous in his office that could hurt them. And he said he had a couple of guns. Um, and then claims to have forgotten that he had uh, a significant amount of explosives also in his office. Yeah,
1: two hand grenades, uh, some C
0: four gel or whatever. Yeah. Have to see Modern, military grade C four, which is just absolutely
1: amazing. Forgo- he,
0: he had forgotten that he had that in there. Yeah, what? I'm, but seriously, where do you get that?
1: I mean, I'm sure you buy it in the black market or something like that, but like,
0: yeah, I mean, he obviously was a man of memes in some way, but uh, but yeah, like, where do you just pick up some C4? Should ask my bomb squad brother about that, I'm sure he would know. Yeah, you
1: should, you, I mean, really, I mean, because I, I, that's the one thing that like in these articles you see it brought up again and again, but it's like, so how do you get? Yeah.
0: Practice is like a pretty, sim- pretty simple thing, but I will say LA sits in between several military bases. So, um, sure. so be, uh, you know, in, in 29 Palms and then up, um, in, um, uh, is it Bakersfield? um uh, or no, Barstow up in Barstow. There's another, uh, another military base too. So maybe he just, uh, knew a guy who knew a guy. Maybe. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but either way, it's absolutely fucking psychotic to have c4 inside your house
1: <laughs> it's psychotic and also just as psychotic i just want to i can't forget this because i wrote this down and we had to talk about uh he named his son after luca Brasi. <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> which is just beautiful like absolutely beautiful special what a beautiful special mind special um, <laughs> very special man yeah the fact that his wife let that happen too is uh uh really something um, yeah I was a, that she let many things go on yeah yeah i mean eventually she uh she got out while the going was good i was wondering that when he lived down the hall um about his relationship with his family which i think seems completely um uh dissociated from but um yeah but uh but yeah it was uh uh he was only ever by himself when I saw him. I'm gonna say I doubt he speaks with his family much these days, but uh, <laughs> you never know. They brought like a significant amount of charges against him after these uh, initial exclusive charges. Um, he like pleaded guilty to that 30 months in prison. And then when he was released, he immediately got picked up um, by the U.S. District Court of Central California for 110 counts, (laughs) which is just uh, amazing, um, which included racketeering, conspiracy, wiretapping, witness tampering, identity theft, and destruction of evidence. Um, And like one of the big ones was that he was pulling um, pulling police files illegally on, uh, several actors, which, which included, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Keith Carradine, Gary Shanlin, and Kevin Nealon, who, uh, was who very wonderfully quoted as saying, uh, how him getting quoted in an article about this case, uh, made him feel like he was a part of Hollywood once again, <laughs> because he had, uh, he had mostly into, fallen into obscurity at that point, and, He had said something about like, oh, I'm like, I'm actually exist. I actually exist sort of thing. (laughs) That's pretty good. Made him feel good. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, Extremely funny. And I think it's important now to highlight that like a lot of the things this guy was involved in, they weren't all like, like not everything was like a sex scandal or something salacious and juicy, like a minor
0: involvement or something like that. Like he did a lot of divorce cases yeah uh, a lot of was, yeah um so like that was a big thing that was i think um, Kidman, kirk- the biggest one yeah exactly yeah uh yeah. kirk kirkorian uh was one of the big ones um uh yeah. and then uh to come completely full circle uh john mctiernan um was one of the divorce cases he did and that association uh, is what led to, uh, McTiernan's essential like downfall, um, yeah. was that, um, when the FBI called McTiernan, um, and asked if he had ever, uh, worked with Pelicano, McTiernan said that he hired him once for a divorce case. Uh, I think it was a 99 or something yeah. and, uh, and said that that was it and then hung up the phone. Uh, and the um, FBI showed up at his house to arrest him for lying to them um, because he hadn't disclosed that he had also hired him to spy on um, on the producer of Rollerball. Was it Charles Roven? Charles Roven, who, yeah. um, right back to where we started, uh, produces a lot of the MCU and DCU movies. Yeah. Which is wild. <laughs> um,
1: stayed with Rollerball, buddy.
0: Yeah, yeah. He really, uh, he peaked in 2002 with Rollerball, and it was all downhill from there. Now he's uh, at the likes of uh, The Avengers and uh, uh, Man of Steel. Um, yes, yes. Oof, good stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but I, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, McTiernan hired him to spy on him because McTiernan was, uh, felt that Roven was basically fucking with the production and yes. wanted to, yeah, wanted to uh, figure out what exactly was going on um with the kind of embattled production. Uh, right. McTiernan apparently had no idea that Pelicano um although you could kind of assume that this guy who's known for doing this, um, Pelicano wiretapped Roven. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, so let me just
1: pause us right there real quick. So let's get everyone's get your head around this. So we're talking about John McTiernan, the director responsible for nomads. The Medicine Man, <laughs> and uh, Die Hard with,
0: with yeah, a Vengeance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, so he, he's a great.
1: He's a great film. This is a guy yeah. who essentially wrote kind of the modern action movie with Die Hard. The even better Die Hard with a Vengeance. I, I love Die Hard with a Vengeance.
0: I I watched it again yesterday in in uh, anticipation of this conversation with you. And very beautiful movie. Great very movie. Great. Um, One of
1: my favorites. Last Action Hero.
0: Yeah, uh, which is um, basically lambasting himself uh, in the movie, um, which yep. shows that he has quite the sense of humor. Um, and, yeah, that's a- uh, and it is just a perfect distillation of the modern action movie. Um, oh, it's and, brilliant! Uh, I love it it. It, it. it grows every time I watch
1: it. Like
0: it does. It only gets more, I think, more uh kind of relevant and interesting as the years go on because it kind of predicted a lot of things. Like this multiverse thing that everybody's on. It was like one of the OG ones to kind of present this multiverse and entertainment sort of thing. Um and it was a box office flop. Yeah. And everyone hated it. Although now it's it's having quite the renaissance, uh, at least among uh nerds like ourselves. But um But it is uh, quite appreciated now, um, much more than it was when it was released, which I think uh, several of his films kind of have had that um, story arc. Um, You know, the entire end of his career uh, before he was arrested kind of was a bunch of flops, uh, despite the fact that uh, I think they were all great movies, really. Yeah. Did the Thomas Crown Affair make? I think that made money. Uh, it did. Yeah, it did. Because uh, that gave
1: him, like, another
0: extension
1: of his, like, his uh, director's life, basically, in Hollywood, I
0: think. A hundred percent. And I think, like, the, that story and the Predator story uh, both speak to a lot about um, how much actors like working with him um, and, like, how good of a director people think he is because uh, Schwarzenegger saw Nomads and wanted him to direct Predator, um, which, you know, launched his career. And then uh, Pierce Brosnan coming off the height of GoldenEye, uh, who could have had literally anyone in Hollywood, um, went for McTiernan because um, ostensibly you'd think he liked working with him on Nomads. And uh, and really, um, I think that speaks to uh, Pierce Brosnan, who could have had anyone after um, him being at the height of GoldenEye, uh, asked for McTiernan to direct uh, Thomas Crown Affair. The movie um, that brought bond back in a big way i think that's Absolutely. like we can't
1: understate that like that movie was big at reviving and maybe not for the better but it did revive james bond as a character and it it i mean he's i still think Brosnan was one of the best bonds that he's uh, he's great in literally everything
0: um yeah he, uh, uh nomads by the way um a great, right uh, really fantastic. His yeah. French accent. Hilarious. hilarious um, but I think. Have been um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Thomas Crown Affair, um, uh, you know, McTiernan comes on and immediately starts asking for changes to the script, uh, which is great. You know, it's like, he's, um, I don't think he was like really in the biggest favor at the time in Hollywood, but, uh, made these demands and, uh, and got them, which I think made the movie, uh, all the better. Um, one of which they were initially going to rob a bank with guns in the beginning and he's the one that was like no he's going to steal a piece of art um that like doesn't affect anyone but rich people which is kind of the whole point of the movie it ends up being is that like how how much of a crime is this really in the end because you know as Dennis Leary's character says later on it's uh He's like, I'm going to go back to solving like real crimes like, and not this stuff that only affects a few rich people. I do love that line. I mean, I love that movie.
1: Well, we've talked about this, but save for the use of the song Centerman. I'm <laughs> um, good with just about everything in that movie. Renee, you're
0: really, really wild choices in the 90s for, in early 2000s for his music.
1: Yeah. <laughs> America had not quite found its musical balance yet in movies. And this right. is a stunning example of like, you didn't need to do that. But, Yeah. And we got to love it. We got to accept the whole thing. What I really like about what he does with Thomas crown and uh, rollerball is his dismantling of the Norman Jewison legacy. He takes Norman Jewison's two biggest late period hits and just like, you know, doesn't really change them that much, but he does, he updates them and for reasons we'll get into, especially with rollerball. To me, that like
0: makes better movies. Yeah, I think uh, was Nomad's the only movie he wrote. I believe so. else was an ad- adaptation, right? Like of someone else's work, but he would come on and he would make these changes in, in the movie that uh, I think all were the script,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He's like uh, yeah, I don't know how often that that's a, a, a thing, but like his big thing was like he asked for concessions on the scripts, like out the gate like he wanted to make these movies uniquely his own um and didn't want to make a movie if it wasn't um uh, you know uh in his style and in his right. of, of, well and think of all the credit he had accrued for giving hollywood die hard
1: i mean how yeah. many movies did that movie spawn you know what i mean
0: yeah and i mean the hunt for red october too uh uh made, right. a, made a lot of money um and uh, you know, started the whole uh, Jack Ryan thing, um, right? Which I think, like one of one of the fascinating things about him too is, uh, you know, Die Hard with a Vengeance being like the only sequel he was a part of in uh, in all of his uh, his tenure. That he launched several of these uh, uh, franchises, um, and uh, and only really did Die Hard with a Vengeance. And I think that was only because he was kind of um, well, first of all that script wasn't even a die hard script to begin with um right, right. Maybe you didn't see it quite as a sequel um but uh but it was kind of a uniquely uh you know its own unique kind of property um before they i think they tried to make it a um, lethal weapon movie first and then sure, several, yeah. yeah settled on making it a die hard movie after that didn't work out it couldn't be its own unique movie it had to no, be no. one of the yeah. 90s franchises but um, but yeah, didn't go for any of the Predator sequels. Didn't go for any of the Jack Ryan movies, which there were tons of. Um, and uh, didn't you know? Only went for the Die Hard sequel, that was literally supposed to be a different movie.
1: And I think it makes sense why he took that one because he was able to do kind of a um. It, whereas, like Die Hard two, the Rennie Harlan one is fun and it's like set at a snowy airport, which is fun. I think he saw the potential. I mean, maybe i'm way off base here in kind of this like axis um horizontal meets vertical thing it's like the first diehard is all about characters moving up and down and because they're in this tall building and then this this one comes up and it's about turning new york kind of into this like game board and he's like he gets to go move that way and traverse the space that way i don't know given what i we know about this guy based off of filmic evidence in his movies that's what jumps out to me is like maybe in his mind he was like well this is at least fun to play with this idea in a different uh path or whatever like just logistically works out
0: different yeah i think yeah he's definitely a man of logistics uh when it comes to his movies and numbers the man loves numbers too yeah. which uh, which is always very fun um which you know comes up very uh uh very famously in that scene where they're trying to figure out how to measure out four gallons um yeah. to stop that bomb in, in time uh, in uh, central park which is just like absolutely absurd you know but oh, like amazing. you know the man's like oh we gotta like do some math here you know <laughs> he just like loves to come loves to come to here's some numbers that he didn't like and <laughs> those are the, <laughs>
1: the, the box office for uh rollerball so rollerball did not do very well in 2002 like you're saying, it's Norman Jewison remake of a film from the 70s, starred James Caan. This one stars Chris Klein, LL Cool J, and Rebecca Romijn. Just I think she's just Rebecca Romijn at this point. She is, yeah. Um, who had previously been, I think her only other screen appearance was um, uh, Femme Fatale.
0: Ah, interesting.
1: I'm pretty sure, that, double check that, but I'm pretty sure that like De Palma like discovered her.
0: I mean, that man—that man knows a good thing when he sees it. You know. Yeah, he's pretty good at it. Yeah, first leading role in *Fem Fatale* Chico. Yeah, I
1: know my Rebecca. I mean, uh, this was a movie that I saw multiple times in theaters when it came out because I could—I was old enough to go to the movies, couldn't go to R-rated movies, but eh, you know, you use the movies to kind of like do a little necking. So I saw <laughs> this in *Scooby-Doo*. And, uh, and uh, Double Take. Those were the three movies that, uh, yeah.
0: That's very funny. I I, uh, I feel like I also saw this at the theater. Um, yeah, yeah, you probably did. I think most people saw this movie. I mean, how could you
1: not? I thought it was the sickest thing in the world when it came out. It was like, the you know, you,
0: you got P.O.D., you got Slipknot. Dude, when the P.O.D. song drops in the first match... That's cinema. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <And laughs> really yeah. so extremely 2002. It's amazing. Like just Chris Klein, Pod, Slipknot, LL Cool J. It's like you're running the gamut right there. You got Jean Reno showing up. You know, it's like. Right fully fully the most 2002 movie Mm
1: -hmm. oh it it definitely checks all those boxes it was a purportedly um r-rated at one point and it's pretty funny knowing this now so just so we set this up right we're not making we're not listen we're laughing at certain dated things about this movie but i think we both go on record i i will go on record so i think this is kind of a masterwork of late career filmmaking and Corey had just revisited for, for a first time like a minute.
0: Yeah, I I, uh, I agree with you in a lot of ways. I think it's uh it perfectly embodies a lot of what uh, how McTiernan felt. Um and I think you can see a lot of uh the way his brain works in this movie. Uh Absolutely. in the most wonderful ways. Uh, you know, um, I think obviously there's some problems with it. Um and uh, uh a lot of that I think came with the studio control over the movie, but um, yes, I think uh, it's thematically. Um, and I think uh, uh, with the camera movement and all of the things that McTiernan's like very well known for uh, it really hits it out of the park. A lot of people like
1: to criticize that it's not as politically astute as the original, which I think is the, like you were saying, you're like, wait, were people watching a different movie?
0: Cause yeah.
1: it's, all there, it's it's filtered through this hyper masculine MTV style thing. But like, how else were you going to reach a you know a young middle schooler looking, f- you know, like? I definitely came away from that movie being pretty exalt like uh, exalted when they came to the movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the, the execs, right? The studio uh, or the TV studio, the owners and the uh, the power players uh, associated with this league and with the TV ratings for it, which everything is done for the TV ratings, right? In this uh, in this movie, uh, the entire plot is driven by the TV ratings. Yeah, um, which is like. Yeah, I, I think I told you this the other day. I, I, you know, Google always feeds me whatever I've been reading about um, in uh, in the app on my phone. And one of the articles that popped out was like, top five worst sci-fi movies according to Rotten Tomatoes. And of course, you know, I clicked on it because uh, of course, of I'm a course. sucker for this shit. And, uh, and you but know. this entire show is based off that bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And Rollerball, uh, sitting at a 3% on Rotten Tomatoes, um, is uh, was in the bottom five for on this article. Um, and it said that it was lacking the political commentary of the original, which was one of the biggest qualms that this person who wrote this article had about it, which, uh, as you said, is just ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. Ludicrous. You're not doing your job.
1: You're not watching the movie and you're probably not revisiting it. I mean anything that's like revisiting Rollerball, it's still like God, what a piece of shit.
0: McTernan's whole career is like uh, political in a way, you know. I mean, like he just like oh, time and again. I, I I told you the other day uh, uh, that uh, Medicine Man like radicalized me as a kid, and it's like uh, and so of you know, the like logging company, you know, uh, comes to destroy the the rainforest and uh, in turn like basically. Um, Uh, drives off the cure for cancer sorry spoiler alert Um, and uh, and you know it's like this big indictment over um, this industrialization and destruction of uh, nature and uh, and how the ramifications of it you know and it's like that's like John McTiernan like it's weird he takes these movies that are you know genre pieces and whatever i mean uh, i guess medicine man's a little more although it was marketed as an action movie uh, much yeah, more it, uh, it was
1: definitely marketed as like a romancing the stone sort of like
0: <laughs> yeah yeah sean uh, sean connery definitely is uh um, at his most charming uh in medicine man i think very charming um, yeah um but um uh, but yeah definitely was not that and i think bombed a lot because of that poor marketing yeah. Um, but Kiernan, uh takes these genre pieces and then will turn out these um, these interesting little um, jabs at uh, industry. A lot. I mean, like a lot yeah. of it's he's like these structures that come with uh, with creating industry and Rollerball is a giant critique of media and uh, TV and movie studios, right? Um, totally. And it's funny to see. Um, kind of like as he, you know his hatred of them uh, come to full visceral conclusion in that movie uh, where Chris Klein just absolutely wrecks Jean Reno with the ball through the glass you know just like beans him in the head to death the
1: momentum of that build-up to when he's got because even the the movie's commenting on the build-up too you know you have like the announcers being like do it you know and it's like you're sitting there like do it just yeah do it. And I, I just remember that build up because i loved that ending so yeah. goddamn much
0: it is great and i mean uh, uh and it's so wild to uh to you know afterwards with um uh his his battle with the studio the producer and uh and everything about that it's like how much he saw himself in chris klein in that moment you know and it's like like, you can feel he, it 100% after knowing everything that happened with that movie and everything with him in the studios it's like that is him taking out every bit of his rage uh in the most productive fashion um which is chris Klein murdering all the studio executives feels so blood soaked yeah uh, this, dude, this one is uh extremely uh honest you know <laughs> like, yeah. it's like it's him in uh in uh, uh, absolutely just speaking his truth. Um, on that final line, boy, is that just one. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's definitely a stand up and clap sort of moment. You know, the whole thing is just like, you're know, like, fuck yeah.
1: Well, and um, you all might get a shot at seeing this on the big screen when, oh, I guess this hasn't been announced yet, but when this airs, but there's a something that we did maybe coming back and maybe rollerball will be
0: a part of it maybe next year we that's can that. we can only hope, um, can only hope. you can get a hold of a 35 grand, uh, maybe uh charles maybe charles rovin will be uh, a roadblock to that but <laughs> well let's talk about charles <laughs> um, for a second now yeah i'd like I, I saying I mean. the
1: movie had a lot of issues uh, like i was saying that you it was going to be a rated r movie but they didn't think that would sell very well so things like blood when people get hit they had to digitally go in and change the blood to like sweat
0: yeah Uh, they did expect like reshoots too right to remove a lot a lot
1: they 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 used that fake um darkness to black out uh naked rebecca romaine which the fuck are you
0: doing there but yeah i uh, it, it yeah it's wild uh like, he wanted a hyper-violent movie, which is the whole point of the movie, uh, is that the studio- Somehow that indie made it through. Like, yeah, the studio in <laughs> se- the movie are selling the violence, which, you know, I think is a commentary he was making on uh, viewership at large uh, in America and in the world. Um, I think it is very funny, we talked about this, that, and this goes back to our earlier point, that. Uh, that the sport takes place in Russia, <laughs> you know, uh, which I, like that's my one qualm about the movie is uh, is that um, he gets he gets exiled from America for bombing a hill on a longboard uh, <laughs> in, in a death sport in Russia, which seems like the most tenuous relationship. Yeah, he gives up a, a successful career in the NHL uh, to go play death sport in uh, this uh, rollerball in Russia yeah yeah exactly they're like yeah you're gonna own a sports car and all this you know and it's just like you definitely are making more money in the NHL let's not (laughs) get it twisted Um, like neither here nor there when he gets there the movie really starts anyway you know doesn't matter how it gets there um whatever well like I ignore the first we can ignore (laughs) ignore that it's what I mean Hollywood needs its boogeyman we can't win them all yeah, we were uh, we were definitely anything to include Russia into the conversation in the '90s and early 2000s. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> but it is, uh, and and you brought this point up too uh, uh, before was, um, you, you know, the last thing he's doing in trying to get the ratings up, John Renault's character is to sell to North America. Yep. Uh, so, like McTiernan once again is is uh, you know taking this point, and maybe he didn't have the ability to change the script of it taking place in Russia or whatever, but. He brings it back to making commentary about how media is consumed in America um, by small, you know the, the, yeah yeah like the he the amplification of violence throughout the season of Rollerball that we're watching in the movie is literally just to package it to sell it to America. Yep, which is like amazing. Like, yeah, to me that's problem. like a,
1: that's a bow on it, and he doesn't oversell that point. I mean, it's kind of a, I mean, it's like blink and you you might miss like.
0: 100 percent it's like it's like one line really i mean like it's a little talked about like near the end there with that last match and why they're why they're to such extremes but like he's you know the one line about like north american uh audiences or whatever is like it's literally one line and then he's kind of like and then the rest of it's about ratings you know but and then who knows what they had to cut i mean this movie really got savaged in the post yeah absolutely uh, completely like i feel like it's got to be one of the most embattled productions of the 2000s um uh and uh quite uh quite notorious for it
1: it's got a little bit of that like um ishtar heaven's gate stink on it still where it was like known for being this kind it's so funny that we used to care about like managing the budgets of movies like people would just be like they overspent oh <laughs> These holly weirdos are just too much, and it's like it does have that. It has not received the it has not received the resuscitation that Heaven's Gate has received, and Ishtar is about to probably get more of. But yeah, it's still I, pretty much in the bargain bin.
0: I, and I, I think it's important to point out too that uh, that this wasn't the only movie that uh, McTiernan had this happen with, uh, because Thirteenth uh, Warrior also quite an embattled production with him and, in battle. yeah yeah and uh um so much so that they brought michael Crichton on to redirect the the reshoots uh, and cut sorry. out so much like information about what's happening in the movie yeah i watched that movie again recently and it is so it is confusing. Two climactic endings yeah it is so confusing like why anything's happening in that movie um uh yeah, they've had
1: they, they apparently didn't think the ending that he had was good enough so there's a literal totally unnecessary the studio for sure said to do this set like final battle that it's like well that didn't do anything to move the plot
0: yeah very bizarre um all around with it but yeah i think like when the rollerball stuff was happening it was he had already that commentary was already there from his fight he had with the studio about 13th warrior um and only got worse uh which I think um, you can see a man in desperation when he hires Pelicano there um, because he is extremely frustrated with the process at this point. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it, like he had had a few uh, box office bombs uh, at that point, and I think the studio was trying to wrangle him in and uh, um, and he was extremely frustrated, you know? And so he hired this guy to figure out what the hell was going on because, you know, he is a man who deeply cares about the work he makes. And you see it in interviews with him. You see it in DVD commentary. You see it in the way, uh, like I said before, like the way actors want to work with him. Uh, He really loves what he does and he's very good at it Mm -hmm. and takes it extremely seriously. So him hiring Pelicano makes all the sense in the world uh, for him to try to figure out. He didn't ask the man to like, you know, like, it's funny, the movie ends with him, like, with Chris Klein murdering the studio execs, you know. Uh It's like, fucking, all Pelicano did was, like, watch a guy, you know, and then he decided to illegally wiretap him. That had nothing to do with McTiernan. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, McTiernan literally was just like, I just want to know what the guy's doing. He, like, you know, he wanted to, if he was fucking with the production, he wanted to know so that he could take it, uh, you know, and, and hopefully get, um, mm-hmm i don't know more concessions with the movie right of
1: all the reasons you wiretap a motherfucker this one is probably (laughs) like all right yeah i would have done it too i mean if i'm like my baby's getting ripped away from me and i see it happening but i can't quite pinpoint what's happening yeah i'll probably hire the biggest (laughs) i just had to i think that one's okay I've said it before. We'll bleep it anyway, for your sake. But um, they had to get this, you know, this burly, let's call him a pasta sauce loving guy to come in and do his his shady magic, which, again, he has done. we, we We haven't even been able to get to everything that this guy touched. I mean, most actors, people in Hollywood probably contacted this guy at
0: one point. I, yeah, um, I think it's fair to say that he had his hands in everything and I don't mean that as an exaggeration. <laughs> yeah. Firmly, <That's laughs> like, I think it's very serious. Yes, so it's pretty understandable that you're
1: like, well, okay, I'm not trying to get him to cover up like me killing a child, or be a doctor overdosed to my house and I got to get that gone. He's like, I want to know what's happening in my movie. So anyway, long story short, he gets busted for this.
0: Yeah, so he um, he's sitting at home um, much after, I think, the production was over, much after, I think, he had uh, hired Pelicano and apparently fresh off a of flight um, from East Asia, uh, I don't know, maybe for work, I think, and uh, and apparently very jet-lagged and on medication, maybe, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think was one of the claims anyway. He apparently was very out of it uh, when this call happened um, and the FBI calls him and asks if he had hired Pelicano and he said he hired him for a divorce and then he, uh, I think maybe they said nothing else and he said no and they hung up. There's uh, his one lawyer said one thing and his other lawyers said a different thing. Um, the one lawyer said that he, they asked him directly about hiring him uh, to spy on Charles Robin and the other lawyer said that that was never mentioned that the lie was basically him saying he only hired him for the divorce attorney. Um, which I think that sounds way more accurate. Yeah. Uh, and you know, this whole thing is, you know, I'm a cab as far as they go, uh, you know, extreme. and, uh, and the FBI, um, a bunch of motherfuckers, uh, and in um, going completely outside of all of their normal rounds of, um, of investigation, and everything, decided to charge him on a single phone call that is extremely flippant and over in probably a minute. Um, That's it. Instead of face-to-face interviews, which is their normal, um, you know, modus operandi, um, they never brought him in to have a conversation about these things. It was literally charged him with the phone call. And a lot of this uh, uh, is... yeah, just absolutely insane. And, you know, and, and I told you, I, I listened to a few uh, other people talk about McTiernan and, and no one I think th- thinks about this. They think like, oh, he went to prison. So he's like extremely guilty and did something bad. And it was like, like from what I, everything I've read and everything I see, like this man did nothing wrong, you know, <laughs> like, no. and, uh, and he did probably what literally majority of people in that love their art would do, uh, in trying to, um, you know, trying to keep a hold of it and trying to, to, to make it what you want it to be. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of this uh, seems to come down to the fact that Pelicano was brought in on a 110 counts, um, and, uh, and, he had all of these high flying clients, all of these billion, he was tied to all these billionaires, studio execs, actors, singers, everyone. And they could not get him to rat on anyone. They couldn't get him to uh they couldn't, they I think the FBI wanted to make this kind of a landmark case with this sort of thing. And they wanted to bring down, you know, so many people in Hollywood, and they weren't able to touch anyone. Um, and so they got John McTiernan on this ticky-tack bullshit of a making a false statement to the fbi um which his lawyer later said was uh uh prosecutorial vindictiveness you know um which seems to be like exactly the case um all right they might have said that about the second charges they brought on him um which is a whole other thing um but uh but this initial thing was uh uh just complete bullshit you know yeah
1: total bullshit Yeah. So so yeah. So McTiernan then spends a good how many years in prison?
0: Uh, Well, he so he was in prison for three months initially, uh, and all the while he was trying to. First of all, I want to say he had, I think, the worst legal team on this first this first stint. I would agree. Um, Yeah, yeah, just complete bullshit. And uh, he spent three months in all the while trying to get his um, plea uh uh stricken from the record so that he could plead not guilty and then fight the charge in court, which I think would have been the way to go initially. Yeah. Um, because like it's complete bullshit, like like we're saying. But the thing was that when he were finally was able to get that stricken from the record, they just brought two more charges against him, um, saying that he had lied to them about some other stuff, which Uh, just absolutely ridiculous you could say show trial yeah and that's what like um you know that's what they were saying with this prosecutorial vindictiveness was like they literally were just coming at him um because they couldn't you know this is speculation but they were coming at him just because they couldn't get anyone else on any of these charges that they had pelicano on right Um, and they like the prosecutor uh that went after him was a former actor and screenwriter named Daniel A. Saunders who had apparently auditioned for Die Hard and for, I think, Predator Uh And uh, and McTiernan had not hired him for either job. That's where it just becomes like a whole other thing that's absolutely hilarious. He was uh, uh, a jilted um, ex-Hollywood actor that was getting back at a director that had shunned him um he was apparently represented by a um by a talent agency that ended up getting someone hired on or sorry the owner of the talent agency got his son in the movie uh i think it was die hard but didn't get this this prosecutor in uh and apparently he was very upset about that uh, I bet. <laughs> but yeah he uh i think someone at like one of the somebody called him like later on and asked him about auditioning for the movies and he he said that like um he had entered law school before like the the movie came out or something like that so they, he never would have been there um but then it came out that like the movie auditioned like three two years before he left for law school and the whole thing was like he apparently left for law school because he couldn't make it in Hollywood and it was like almost like he got denied a role to die hard and then join like went to law school right afterwards because his career was basically failing comes full circle back into hollywood as a u.s attorney uh and uh and you know becomes a uh becomes a name in a different way in hollywood mm-hmm. and uh the one that takes down john mctiernan um is yeah. like a jil- like a jilted lover
1: like a jilted lover, sent him to South Dakota. A 63 year old man spent approximately 328 days behind bars.
0: Lost uh, 20 pounds, right? And yeah. um, and his wife said that he was doing terrible in there. Um, really? Yeah. It it's apparently really? it seemed. Yeah, it seemed like it was a, um, a pretty chill place, you know. Like I think wow. he did get a concession on getting sent to like a little bit of a, uh, you know, a country club sort of uh prison. Um, but all that aside, prison is still prison in America. Like uh, no matter yeah. how nice it is, it's still prison. I mean, you still are stuck somewhere for a full year without being able to leave. And, yes. and I think like, you know, you got to think about the fact that um, the one thing that he loved doing his whole life, like this, this obsession he had, Uh, was completely ripped out of his hand and taken away from him. So it's like, not only is he in prison, but he basically just lost his entire career um, where he was at his absolute apex at one point. Like, you know, you can say that every modern action movie uh, is based off Die Hard, you know, or like he he came up with so much visual style in action movies and uh, progressed the genre much further than like, any other single person had in, you know, in the um, modern movies. Yep. Um, and they're still the making 90s. sequels off um, of his movies. They got the yeah, Predator movie. Yeah, Prey Pre- Pre- just came out. We're still, we're still going here. Like, I mean, he set a tone uh, that has been kind of unmatched, which is amazing for a man that's uh, only made 11 movies. Was it 11 he directed? Like, yeah, something like that. Like, yeah, like just such a small sampling of a career but like everyone was just a, I mean, in my opinion, was a banger, and which I really like, too. Um, oh, yeah. But, yeah. We probably don't have time to get into basic, but I'm with you. I do think that
1: it's one of his most visually arresting.
0: Yeah, it does so much with so little being yeah. kind of a little chamber piece for the majority of the movie. Um, and uh, yeah, who, it, who it, praised it's a, that movie. Who praised that movie that you told me about? uh jonathan rosenbaum uh i think called it striking uh, i believe i'd have to look that up again but like yeah. he said nice things about it yeah. but um you know like his uh i think we lost a great um when he was uh unfortunately and i think quite terribly taken down by the fbi yeah. uh in just the most bullshit case um that you could really fucking shake a stick at and uh and you know that man was had so had so much more to give, um, and, and he might still. I mean, yeah, he's uh, he's apparently uh, he was supposed to start a movie in 2020, right? Um, so Ethan like
1: a like a sci-fi movie,
0: sci-fi thing, yeah. And it's still, I think, still up on his IMDb as in production. Yeah, uh, and you gotta hope to God that that movie gets made because it would probably be very interesting. And I'm sure probably an extreme amount of commentary on um, his experiences in the last uh, decade plus. I, I, don't, you know. I sent you that CNN uh, uh, interview with him. Yeah. I don't know if you had a oh, chance to yeah, yeah. watch it, but yeah, the, yeah. Man, the man uh, learned a lot when he was in prison and, uh, and is very critical of America and uh, the way it imprisons its population um and uh and i just love it like you can tell the man's like just it's funny because he's from like upstate new york he went to fucking juilliard he went to but like he is that man like champions the working class all the time in his movies like and uh it makes like uh like yeah just humanizes so many people that i think aren't really usually humanized in these types of movies um and rails against um pretty radically against um industry um that is like gross overreach of it
1: yeah i agree i mean he's he's uh he's definitely one of those filmmakers that would have uh if andrew saris were writing about he'd be in the expressive esoterica section (laughs) i like like that uh, yes i think he yeah there's we still have a lot to glean from his stuff that you know, I mean, you can see his latest work right now. It's, I think, it's like a trailer for one, like a Call of Duty game or something like that. Uh,
0: Ghost Recon, yeah. It's actually a really great little piece. Like it is. it's, yeah. Uh, like they, yeah, the the um, whatever they are, like mercenaries sitting around the table, and uh, and there's a cat playing with the uh, the laser sight off a rifle in the room. You know, and it's just like such a funny little like device that. I feel like only him would kind of be able to work into something really well. And like, it's just such a funny little minute of a thing. And it's like, great.
1: It feels of a, yeah, of his work. I mean, yeah, you could totally have seen that scene in like Predator or something like that, you
0: know? It's 100%. Like, yeah, it, it deserves like, yeah, it's better than any of the Predator sequels, you know? <laughs> the you know, one minute ghost recon trailer. Um, I would have watched it again before I cooked dinner. Yeah, I think uh, his, um, like his career and everything and then his eventual downfall is just such a um such a microcosm of Hollywood in general that there is always this like push and pull between the artists um and the studios. Um and there is like this weird, shady underside um to how that all operates. Um, that have these bad faith actors like Anthony Pelicano like running around in it. Um and it's so funny that we don't get that many glimpses of how that operates, you know, like there's always, you know, there's always all this critique and criticism of, of what a director does in a movie and whatever. And it's like you rarely see why those decisions were made uh and how deep some of those problems run between like a person who I mean like McTiernan was literally, I, I will say the best at what he did, you know, I mean for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, and even he couldn't get, you know, final say on um, these movies at the end of his career um, because there was this extreme power struggle between him and the studios, um, which brought in all of these weird actors, you know, to like kind there of squab- squabble behind the scenes. Um, and, and it's so perfectly poetic that it was over a movie in which he was already um, already just uh, leveling a, a amazing critique of this process.
1: Well said. And I think we're gonna leave it there. Corey Pop.
0: Thanks. you
1: that <laughs> yeah, you had to stay till the end of the episode to hear the real name. <laughs> now you can help me. Uh, yes, yes. Now, no. now I'll attack him on. Uh, if, anyone,
0: if anyone stuck around this long listening to me, then they deserve to know who I am. <laughs> do
1: you have any, would you, is there any, can they find you anywhere?
0: uh yeah there's some um yeah if you just uh google my name in ukraine uh there's some articles out there that i've written recently uh if you want those associated with the show um uh i think there's a lot of stuff going on uh, in eastern ukraine that's being left out of what we're talking about that i saw when i was there and uh and uh i think it's important to talk about um and uh no matter what the consequences are of that which there have been many um yeah can- yeah but uh in true through McTiernan fashion you know it's uh uh we're bringing to light the underworkings of of these things that I think are otherwise uh left in the shadows
1: and there you have it Will could never do that <laughs> <laughs> he would just be like yeah that's good that's yeah I like yeah the movie's okay I hate it it's oh, it's fine the movie's fine <laughs> Yeah, always running for office with his uh, with his choices. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't wait for him to maybe do yeah. Maybe. Maybe he's coming back. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I'm curious uh, uh, how he feels and what he thinks. But um, well, what a fun time. I appreciate it. Yeah, much, that was John.
1: fun. Corey, love you. Love we'll, you too, uh, buddy. Maybe we'll have you back. Maybe you're um, the um, permanent host,
0: co-host. Yeah. You know, either either way. I'm uh, I'm here for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Bye. when Many will call with the shows in the few.